Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Now, coming up on today's program, the federal government will soon require COVID-19 vaccinations or proof that you are negative at businesses with more than 100 employees. Now, this mandate is raising a lot of questions, and Georgia's among the states threatening legal action against the government. Atlanta-based labor attorney Ed Buckley weighs in on the controversy. Also, while the March of Dimes is is supporting the CDC's call for pregnant people to get vaccinated, these are important conversations coming up on today's program. But we'll begin with this. The White House estimates 4 million have received a COVID-19 booster shot. Overall, they say there's progress, albeit slow. Now, that's the message from the White House COVID response team. But there's also going to be a push to track the influenza virus as we are in the flu season. Here's CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky from this week's COVID-19 press briefing. Each year in the United States, influenza can claim between 12,000 and 52,000 lives and results in 140,000 to 710,000 hospitalizations, another toll we need to work hard to avoid. Furthermore, an increase in flu infections and flu severity could put an additional burden on our healthcare system and increase stress on our nation's healthcare workers. And in related news, Fulton County Schools will keep its mask mandate in place. That's after a Superior Court judge ruled against a group of parents who sought to overturn it. The parents argued requiring masks has caused mental and physical health problems for students. But Judge Eric Dunaway wrote that while the parents' concerns may be legitimate, there's not enough evidence to show that there is injury since the mask policy has been in place for more than a year. Now, Fulton initially planned to make mask optional this school year, but a surge in COVID cases caused the district to reinstate its mask mandate. And finally, yes, one more day of rain which is not bad because we need rain, right? Still, a flash flood watch remains in effect for most of north and central Georgia through 8 p.m. tonight. Now, later in the day, there could be some showers and isolated thunderstorms. They are likely, according to the National Weather Service in Peachtree City, and it could be heavy rainfall in some areas leading to flash floods. So they recommend, again, do not try to pass through flooded roadways. More rain is expected tomorrow. Don't worry, the sun it's expected to be out on Sunday or Saturday. Coming up next, vaccine mandates and your job. What are your thoughts? Send me an email, rose at wabe.org, or hit me up on Twitter at WABE Rose Scott. Be kind in your comments. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. 
Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And you're listening to 90.1 WABE. The program is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. It was an announcement from President Joe Biden met with praise and criticism. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. Hmm. This also led to threats of legal action from states, including Georgia. They have to make that decision from themselves. And the government pushing that on them is only going to make people turn away and fight that even more. That, of course, is Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. So far, more than a dozen Republican governors are vowing to fight the vaccine mandate. Well, joining the program to sift through all this is Ed Buckley, managing partner and one of the founding partners of Buckley Bill LLP. They are an Atlanta-based law firm focused on employment and business law. And while we know he's an expert, do not go to your employee and say that Ed told me I don't have to do anything you say. And then you get fired and then you want to sue us all. So, Attorney Buckley, thanks for taking the time. I got you covered. All right. Thanks for that, uh, Rose. (laughs) And it's my pleasure. And thank you for having me on your program. I'm I'm happy to answer whatever questions you may have about the vaccine mandate or about workplace safety issues in general as as they pertain to COVID-19. Well, let's before we get to that, let's back up a little bit, because I imagine even last year when all this started, you had questions from clients, from folks. Is that music? Are you playing? Are you in a band, Ed? What you got going on? No, I'm not. I I turned off my sound. So sorry about that. (laughs) It's okay. It happens. Um, Let's go back. Uh, I imagine you all, when all this started, you did get a lot of concerns, questions uh, from clients. uh, But you did you expect that maybe we would get to a point where there was going to be a question about can employees mandate a vaccine vaccinations for employers, employees? Can employers mandate? Well, I think that question has been asked and it, it, uh, of course, when it all started, we didn't have the vaccination in place and we were all hoping for that, or many of us were. And now that it's here, of course, some people don't want to do it. So uh, the general rule of thumb is that employers, regardless of any uh, vaccine mandate by OSHA or the president, uh, can require employees to be vaccinated. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, mm-hmm. although there are very, very narrow exceptions, and and there are really only two of them. Uh, one is if an employee can show a medical reason or a disability that prohibits them from getting a vaccination, and the other is if an employee can show uh, a deeply held religious belief that would exempt them from that. And and on both of those occasions, 
the employer can probe into the reasons and see whether they're legitimate uh, uh, or not. Uh, well, go we're going to we, no, dig deeper into those in just a moment. But I also want to begin here, too, for our, our listeners, because, you know, and this has happened before, whether it's with the Biden administration or any other previous administration, they come up with something, but then they're slow in releasing defined guidance to your knowledge. And this is coming from the Department of Labor. Has there been some defined guidance that's been sent out uh, so that folks know exactly, you know, what these provisions are as it relates to the vaccine mandates? Not yet. And that is frustrating employers. Um, I think that the department is working on it and trying to be careful because they want to put out an enforceable rule. Um, there's a lot of questions. How do you count 100 employees? Does that include independent contractors and remote workers? Uh, what proof of vaccination does an employer have to collect and give? And do they have to give it to the government? Uh, what's the type of testing required? And and uh, uh, a number of other questions. So it the rule needs to address those issues. Any idea? Attorney Buckley, when this could come out? Because then if there is a a date, a deadline, but it's like saying, well, you can't do this, but you haven't given me any information for me to act on it. You also haven't said, you know, OK, we can help you with this. I mean, it's, I can understand employers and employees feeling like, well, hold on, don't just put something out there and then there's not any information to support it or resources. Well, at this moment, the mandate is not enforceable and won't be enforceable until OSHA issues an emergency rule, and OSHA can do that at any time. And my hope is that OSHA will do it soon in order to give employers and employees some guidance. Why OSHA and not maybe the CDC? Well, OSHA is involved in, man, in, in rules concerning workplace safety. The mm -hmm. CDC really isn't. Uh, and OSHA has that enforcement power. And in fact, there was recently a ruling uh, that threw out a CDC rule uh, concerning, you know, uh, leases and, and, uh, and that sort of thing uh, concerning OSHA. So this is really straight within the Department of Labor's wheelhouse. Let me ask you this. And actually, I have a, a, an email that just popped up. The listener wants to know, what about if you are a an affiliate of a larger you know, conglomerate? And, and does that you may not have the person says I may not have 100 employees in my business as a franchise, but I'm part of a bigger conglomerate that does. Does and, that? And I think that's that's a great question. And that's the kind of question that OSHA needs to answer when it issues this rule. Yeah. Does it does it apply to subsidiaries uh, or does it only apply to individual corporate entities? Well, I'm going to use our organization for an example, and I hope this is not my last time on this show because I'm doing this. We are part. Everyone knows because they hear me say it and my colleagues. WAB's broadcast license held by the Atlanta Board of Education. We are in a APS building. If APS has rules regarding COVID-19, and their buildings, we're in their building, although we are a separate entity. So my check does not say APS, y'all, because I know some of y'all think that it's not true. So then, you know, for example, a situation like that, how do you maneuver through that? How would you, what would you suggest or consult with businesses to work through this when you are a part of a, somehow you're connected with another entity or another, another business and all that? 
Well, while we're waiting for this rule to issue, I think it's a good idea for subsidiaries to talk to their larger corporate employers and seek guidance. And that's the only thing you can do. Um, I, I think it's also very important to talk to your employees and let them know, you know what your guidelines are, your guidelines for safety. Safety is still important regardless of when the OSHA rule comes out. And if and OSHA does have guidelines concerning workplace safety during the pandemic, for example, they recommend social distancing. They actually <laughs> recommend, though they don't order vaccinations, and they, they, they recommend masking in the workplace. So I think it's very important to have a dialogue within the workplace and even uh, between subsidiaries and parent corporations. Let's go back to those two exceptions that you mentioned, which we've been hearing a lot. One is obviously the deep held religious um, belief or the medical reason. So employers will have to make that decision. Did you think, let me ask you, you think that's fair? Because I know there's nobody in my organization that has a degree in epidemiology. I'm just saying. And there may not be anybody who has a degree in theology either. And that Absolutely. Does, well, I don't know about that here, problem. but yeah. <laughs> it poses a problem for the employer. And so here's the dialogue. We'll go with religion first, and then we'll talk about the medical side too, because that's equally important, if not more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an employee approaches the employer and says, I have a deeply held religious belief that I should not take a vaccination. The employer is entitled to inquire about that deeply held religious belief. What religion do you belong to? Who in your religion is saying that you should not get vaccinated? Uh, Is there a rule in your organization? I would point out that none of the major religions at this point in time have come out and said, we, including the Church of Christ uh, uh, scientists, we do not, uh, 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 there's a rule that our Uh, uh, people will not get vaccinated. No religions come out with that, but an employer can probe that. And then, you know, for example, if an employee comes in with a letter from their pastor Mm -hmm. saying, I've told him he should not get vaccinated, that may have some probative value. Uh, But then there's a second step, okay? And that second step is, can the employee perform safely Mm -hmm. the essential functions of their job by safely, I mean safely, not just for themselves, but for others. Or uh, if not, uh, that employee may still be subject to termination. Oh, uh, oh, Attorney Buckley, here come the emails. Folks are saying, well, wait a minute. My employer doesn't have the right to ask me about my religion. If I tell you this is something that I believe, then that should be enough. That's from an well, actual that's, emailer. That's not what the law says. Um, the EEOC uh, has a process by which a determination can be made whether or not a religious exemption applies. And I'll just give you an example. Some mm-hmm. religions say we don't work on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So I go in and tell my employer, I don't, my religion says I don't work on Saturdays. Well, am I making it up or is it a deeply held religious belief? I understand the moral belief of employees that the employer shouldn't probe into their religion, but where the employee raises their religion as the reason why they shouldn't get vaccinated, the employer has a right to ask questions to determine whether or not that truly is a deeply held religious belief. Then how do they 
what's the what's the guidance to, to or just be clear about this then what would you consult to that employer to make sure they don't then find themselves faced with a lawsuit what other metrics you want them to use to make an informed decision and listen one, I'm, we're familiar with some religions, some we may not be familiar with, but that doesn't mean that that religion isn't credible to that individual. Well, I mean, all of these are very good points, and I don't envy employers on this uh, on this point. Typically, I represent employees, but an employer is going to, this is a minefield. Uh, an employer can ask the employee questions like, well, who in your religion, who in your church told you this, who in your church told you that you can't get vaccinated? Uh, is there a, a written religious tenant that says you can't get vaccinated? And again, I'll point out, for example, uh, people may come forward and say, well, I'm Catholic and, and I uh, don't, uh, can't be, you know, don't think I should be vaccinated. Well, the Catholic church has actually come out and said that we are not telling mm -hmm. our parishioners that they cannot be vaccinated. So that would weigh against that. Hmm. The voice you hear is Ed Buckley. He's a managing partner and one of the founding partners of Buckley Bill LLP. They're an Atlanta-based law firm with a focus on employment and business law. And we're talking about the vaccine mandates. Let's move on, Attorney Buckley, to then medical reasons. This may be a little bit easier, I guess, to determine. Um, someone comes in with the information from their primary care physician that says, we are recommending that this individual not get the vaccine. And I think so far, and I had this conversation with someone the other day, there were some concerns about folks who had received organ transplants. But to your knowledge, any other medical condition that might uh, be exempt from this uh, vaccine mandate? Well, there are any, any number that may. And, you know, I I'm neither a theologian nor a doctor, so gotcha. <laughs> there's another qualification. But, you know, if you assume that you have an employee with some kind of weakened constitution that their physician can attest that the vaccination could injure them or harm them uh, in some meaningful way, then uh, that may be a legitimate medical exemption. Now, mind you, and, and, and the, there is an, still an inquiry that can occur, and the employer can, for example, if the employee comes in and says, well, I have this weakened condition, the employer can say, well, I'd like to have a letter from your doctor mm -hmm. that tells me that. So that can occur. With both the religious exemption and the medical one, though, once that's the first hurdle. Mm -hmm. The second hurdle is, can the employee safely perform their job if they're not vaccinated. And by safely, that means safely for everyone in the workplace. Hmm. The employer has to look into whether or not they can give that employee reasonable accommodations. Reasonable meaning, can they perform the essential functions of their job with that accommodation? For example, Right now, you and I are speaking remotely. Mm -hmm. Can the employee perform their job remotely? If so, that might be a reasonable accommodation. And uh, uh, on the other hand, if the employee's in retail and they're going to be doing face-to-face -face with people on a daily basis, that might be a tougher call. 
Matter of fact, I have an email from someone I know who works in retail as a small business owner and says, look, this is not about personal choice and cannot be with a number like 700,000. This is about public health. I frankly think all employees need to mandate it and the federal government should as well if we're ever going to turn this deadly page is what is required. So, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of folks feel the same way. Attorney Buckley, let me ask you this then. We're waiting for this stronger defined guidelines from the Department of Labor, what would you hope are in these provisions so that all of a sudden now we won't have a whole lot of folks with lawsuits or, you know, folks saying, yeah, I was unfairly terminated. What are you suggesting or what are you hoping comes out in these defined provisions from the Department of Labor? Well, first of all, remember, the Department of Labor is only going to mandate vaccinations for people in the workforce, first of all. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, they will have to define what an employer is who has a 100 employees. The Department of Labor will also need to tell employers what is satisfactory information from employees to demonstrate that they've been vaccinated. And then the Department of Labor needs to tell employers if they're mandating this, what the penalties are for failure to comply and, and what the proof is for failure to comply. In most instances, an employer with 100 employees isn't going to self-report. But if an employee in the workplace complains, my employer is not complying with the, the uh, uh, OSHA regulation, OSHA has the right to investigate and see whether they are. Now, there was something else that we need to talk about, to be fair, that we heard from um, the White House, which was also, okay, vaccine mandates or an employee being able to show proof that they are negative. I mean, I guess that could be the other option. Can in, can employers pick one or the other and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to mandate vaccines, but I'm just going to ask people to, to show me that they're negative? Well, uh, you know, we heard what President Biden said, and if the Department of Labor writes that into the rule, then yes, if the Department of Labor writes into the rule that employees who refuse to be vaccinated must agree to be tested uh, uh, weekly or, or during, you know, some period of time, uh, then uh, uh, that can occur, and the employer would do well to have a test that can be administered on a, a periodic basis. So that is another solution. Um, I think it's a less perfect solution because mm -hmm. somebody can be tested one day and catch COVID the next and be carrying it around for a week before they get tested again. And then they've exposed how many people in the workplace to COVID-19. Attorney Buckley, what are, are you hearing from folks so far as it relates to COVID-19? Uh, any unusual or specific cases that you can talk about, obviously, that maybe well, we're not even talking about yet. Sure. The cases that, that our firm is, well, there's two kinds of cases that, you know, are being, we're getting calls about. Uh, one is there are a lot of people who don't want to get vaccinated. Uh, and uh, we are, are not taking most of those cases because most of the reasons that are given are I'm an anti-vaxxer and being an anti-vaxxer is not a reason not to get vaccinated as far as the workplace is concerned. So can my employer, I'm a nurse and I don't want to get vaccinated. I think it violates my constitutional rights. 
uh, can I be fired? The answer is probably yes. Uh, and so we're not taking those cases. On the other hand, we are taking cases from people who are now being required to return to the workplace who are immunocompromised or otherwise have uh, life-threatening illnesses. Maybe they're a cancer patient and the employer is not taking precautions in the workplace to protect the employee. One example, a university professor that's being required to teach maskless, unvaccinated students live rather than remotely mm -hmm. when that professor has been doing it remotely for the last year. It makes no sense. Why can't he continue to do it remotely when he's immunocompromised? So that's that's an example. And that professor has been a guest on this show many, many times before. Um, here's a question from a, a listener that wants to know, well, does it matter if your place of employment is outside? Could that be a reason? Because I believe that being outside, I'm less likely to catch the virus. I don't know. If, I don't know if they work in like construction or landscaping. Uh, I, I think, again, it's it's really going to depend on what rural OSHA issues but even in an outside setting, uh, it's, it's possible to catch or spread COVID-19. So uh, I don't think being outside is the silver bullet to the virus. Uh, at, this, at least the science hasn't said that at this point in time, though it has said it's perhaps less likely that it'll be spread. As we wrap up, Attorney Buckley, any idea in terms of what, how, you know, this is unprecedented. We've, none of us have been through this. Um, where do you see this going? I mean, could there, do, there really be some changes in, not even at the federal, but could state legislatures try to even enact their own laws? And you know what happens when there's state laws that might contradict federal or vice versa? Then we have, we have to wait for the Supreme Court to rule on it. Right. I think actually, based on prior case law, there's a 1905 Supreme Court decision that recognized that a state or local law mandating a vaccination was enforceable. So I think that it is easier for an across the board rule for the entire population, for example, to be uh, uh, mandated by a state government or a local government. Uh, it is much, much more difficult for the federal government across the board to say all citizens will be vaccinated. And that's not what these rules are. They are attached to the workplace uh, uh, and, and the federal government via OSHA has an interest in workplace safety. So that's basically the hook that the federal government can use. But the federal government, I don't believe has the power to across the board say all citizens shall be vaccinated. I think um, there will be litigation. It seems inevitable. I've looked at uh, Chris Carr's comments mm -hmm. and the comments of other states' attorney generals. I have not seen anything in them that particularly impresses me on their positions uh, with respect to these workplace rules that are coming down the pike. So I don't think that they're likely to be successful. I want to just go back on something you said just a moment ago, because OSHA is a federal agency, correct? Right. Which falls under the White House, in a sense. Right. So the, you're saying the White House cannot mandate the vaccines, but OSHA could. But you still expect lawsuits? 
Well, OSHA can at the president's direction, and and that's really what it is. OSHA is a federal agency, mm-hmm. you know, so so they can, and OSHA has an interest in workplace safety, so that's the 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 conduit, if you will, by which the rule can be enforced, but only in the workplace. Uh, I have read that there's some frustration in OSHA that President Biden didn't make the mandate broader just to apply to all workplaces. Uh, But he, for whatever reason, has chosen not to do that. So this is, it's complicated things by having to, to have OSHA decide what is an employer with 100 or more employees. Wow, we shall see. Ed Buckley, managing partner and one of the founding partners of Buckley Bill. It's an Atlanta-based law firm focused on, focusing, on, on, in, focusing on employment and business law. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time. I know there were a lot of questions from listeners. And again, you know, Attorney Buckley is an expert. But again, you know, you can reach out. But also, you know, make sure you consult with your own expert. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Rose, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your program. All right. Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. As mentioned earlier, we've been talking about the vaccine mandate. We were talking about the CDC strongly recommending folks get this year's flu shot. But there have also been concerns about the safety of COVID-19, the vaccine during pregnancy and afterwards, especially for those opting to breastfeed. And recently, the CDC reported that as of September 27th of this year, more than 125,000 reported cases of COVID-19 were reported in pregnant people and that August marked the highest reported number of deaths among this group since the onset of the pandemic. Now, the recommendation from the CDC to pregnant and breastfeeding folks will get the COVID-19 vaccine. And tragically, as as of September 17th in Mississippi, Eight pregnant women had died of, the, of, of COVID-19 that was tracked since last July. That's according to the Mississippi Department of Health. They also reported that none of those women were fully vaccinated. Well, the March of Dimes is supporting the CDC's guidance about vaccinations for pregnant people. And joining me now is the president and CEO of the March of Dimes, Stacy Stewart. Stacy, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, great to be with you, Rose. Thank you. And we should note, uh, Ms. Stewart is it, it, Ms. Stewart is not a doctor. As always, though, please consult with your primary care physician. And if you are uninsured due to finances, please contact Georgia's Department of Health. Wanted to get that out there. Stacy. I want to begin with the latest from the CDC regarding the pregnant people. Surely this is unsettling and alarming to you all over there at the March of Dimes. Yeah, no, it really is, Rose, and I'm glad you're uh, spending some time talking about it. As you mentioned, um, you know, the CDC has uh, recommended urgent action, and, and we've done the same at the March of Dimes uh, to increase COVID-19 vaccination among people who are pregnant, uh, who are recently pregnant, including those that are breastfeeding or lactating, um, those that are trying to become pregnant right now, because what we know is that uh, if a woman is pregnant and she contracts Uh, COVID-19, she's at significantly higher risk of of dying from COVID-19. 
uh, pregnant women with COVID-19 are 15 times more likely to die than uninfected women, um, 14 times more likely, likely to need to be intubated, and 22 times more likely to have a preterm birth, a baby that's born too, too sick and too soon. If a woman is contract, has contracted COVID-19 versus, and is unvaccinated versus those that, um, that, are un, that, um, that are uninfected. So we know that the risk of contracting COVID-19 if a woman is pregnant really does affect and could impact her health and her life um, as it can impact the health of her baby as well while she's pregnant. We've been hearing, follow the science, trust the science, and for an organization like the March of Dimes, uh, what entities, what organizations are you all relying on to guide your recommendations? Well, we always um, have followed the science, as you mentioned. I mean, obviously, the March of Dimes was founded out of um, the need to address the polio crisis um, some 80 plus years ago. And we've, we've been an organization from the, our very beginning. Um, that was created in order to invest in the best research possible. Um, our, our past and our history really has been pioneering vaccine research, mm-hmm. which led to the eradication of polio. And then we shifted that scientific focus to looking at other kinds of issues that affect moms and babies. Even before the pandemic, we were facing a maternal and infant health crisis mm-hmm. in this country and had been investing significantly in research to address um, the issues and under, underlying causes of maternal mortality and morbidity, um, also infant mortality and premature birth. And then the pandemic came, came and we've continued to invest ourselves in research around this issue, as well as look to others who are also uh, working in the space. Certainly the CDC is the most trusted entity, um, collecting data and looking at what is reliable information trustworthy information and what we're learning about the pandemic and the vaccine and the effects of it on pregnant people. So we certainly are working closely with the CDC and other researchers on all of the information that we are um, sharing with many women who really are concerned and rightfully so about COVID-19 and the impact of the vaccine. We want to make sure that we're getting the right information out there to combat the the misinformation that is so prevalent um, you know, uh, in in all of our news channels today and social media channels, for sure. So you all feel confident that there have been enough clinical trials or that pregnant women have been part of clinical trials? Um, for some, I know that they are a protected group that often can't be in a clinical trial. So what what have you all been relying on? What, what data can you share, information you can share with our listeners? Yeah, no, it's a really good point because... Um, one of the things that, that we were concerned about early on, especially as the uh, vaccine was being developed uh, and being rolled out, is that uh, pregnant women and, and breastfeeding women are often excluded from clinical trials. It's one of the biggest issues that we um, are concerned about is that oftentimes because of the you know concerns that, um, uh, that exist around including pregnant women in clinical, in clinical trials, uh, in order to protect them and keep them safe, what we end up doing is is creating uh, interventions and vaccines and drugs that then we don't know whether or not they're safe for pregnant people. And so part of the issue of um, of even rolling out the vaccine was, did we have enough data to know mm-hmm. whether or not it was in fact safe for, for, uh, for pregnant and lactating women because they were not included in the clinical trials? But what has happened over uh, the many months now that since... Uh, since uh, the vaccine has rolled out, 
and we know that data is being collected by the CDC. Um, we know based on the evidence of what has been collected already in terms of um, the thousands of women that have received a vaccine, pregnant women that have received a vaccine, um, many of them are reporting their symptoms if they have any uh, to, uh, to, to, to the CDC. We know that there, and we have now a lot of evidence that shows that there is no increased risk of, for example, miscarriage as a result of receiving the vaccine. Um, we know that, uh, and this is all based on the data that's been collected mm-hmm. um, by the CDC. We know that, uh, in fact, not only uh, does the vaccine not um, produce any increased risk of miscarriage or any other challenges that the mother might be experiencing, we know that in fact the vaccine can actually be extremely protective in terms of protecting the woman from um, contracting COVID-19, from becoming severely ill from COVID-19, and that even the antibodies um, that are received through the vaccine can be passed on to uh, to the baby in utero, which is enormously helpful to the baby while the mother is pregnant. So not only is the vaccine safe, but it's actually very effective in terms of protecting the mom and the baby. And here's what we do know, according to Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who is a director of the CDC, that in August we had, which was a record so far, 21 women die from COVID-19. We go back to Mississippi, for the eight women who so far have died from eight pregnant women who've died from COVID-19. We know they were unvaccinated. So for an organization like yours, when you hear that in, you hear that data, what more can you all do in terms of messaging? Is there anything that you feel like y'all haven't done? And then consider this. Mississippi is a state with a very low vaccination rate. Absolutely. And, and, and Georgia is obviously working on increasing its vaccination rate. So we still need to do a lot of work to get information out to everybody about the safety and, and, and effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccine. But it's especially true for pregnant people who, again, had concerns legitimately because we, there was not enough evidence in these clinical trials. But now that we have enough evidence of the many thousands of women who have received a vaccine who are safe, And um, we can now with confidence share, as we are doing with the CDC, that the vaccine is safe for pregnant people, that it is safe and effective um, for them and their babies. You know, as you mentioned, I think earlier in August, the highest number of COVID-19 related deaths in pregnant people um, happened in, in, and that was the highest uh, in any single month of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we also know that 97% of the pregnant people that were hospitalized with confirmed um, SARS-CoV-2 infection were unvaccinated. That should be enough to tell us that if we get, if pregnant people get the vaccine, and again, as of September 25th, um, just you know, a, a week or two ago, only about a third of pregnant people were actually fully vaccinated before or during the pregnancy. We just wanna make sure that people understand that if you are getting the vaccine now while you're pregnant, if you are thinking about becoming pregnant, getting the vaccine, Now is the time to get vaccinated, even especially in states where vaccination rates overall are low and where the Delta variant is still um, unfortunately affecting too many people. Um, Right now in Georgia, there are 7,100 pregnant people who currently are confirmed to have COVID-19. And what we wanna make sure is that if you're pregnant today, that you as quickly as possible um, get vaccinated because the more and more that you are protected from COVID-19 as your pregnant person, 
the more that you can keep your baby safe. And that's really what we want to make sure is that the higher risk of being pregnant while while contracting COVID-19, that we're not putting any more women at risk for severe illness, hospitalization, or death. Stacy, that is the message. Someone listening says, that's great. Those messages are great. How do you, beyond just saying that, reach folks in terms of at least getting them to think about it if they are hesitant? Do you need to partner with other organizations? There, uh, for a while there, there was a push to have maybe the faith-based community. I mean, you know, here our governor says, talk to your primary care physician, talk to your faith leader. Talk, you know, y'all yeah. saying it is great and putting out a press release is great. But everyone doesn't see well, that press release. Absolutely. And we're doing everything we can. For example, we launched um, a whole series of, of um, Facebook Live events to get information out to women, especially during the pandemic, information that they can rely on and that is safe from not only experts, but experts, but other women themselves. Right now, if you go to the March of Dimes Facebook page, you'll see um, a Facebook Live from just a few weeks ago where we actually had women and experts on together talking about uh, women talking about having gotten the vaccine while they were lactating or having gotten the vaccine while they were pregnant and what did they experience? Because sometimes women need to hear from other women about their own experience. And sometimes, unfortunately, and this is, this is what is really troubling, is that our own health officials who are respected and who've been spending their entire careers looking at these kinds of issues are often not highly regarded. We've created such such, such mistrust in our, um, in our officials and public health officials and government officials right now that we know that the message may not be heard um, if it comes from their mouth. That doesn't mean they need to stop giving it. It just means that we need to figure out, to your point, other messengers so that um, the message is picked up. So faith-based leaders, mm-hmm. um, one-on-one information from women so they can share their own experiences. We're not a part of the government. The March Times is its own independent private nonprofit. We hope we can be um, a credible source of information. Um, and we know that it, that getting the information out in multiple ways is gonna be really, really important. Radio shows like yours are really important. Um, social media is unfortunately a place where people find too much bad information. We want to be a source of really uh, credible, trusted information. So going to the March of Dimes website, the CDC website, um, we want to make sure that others, um, healthcare providers also are sharing their information because we know that um, women trust their doctors. They trust others in the health profession that have been maybe overseeing their health for years. We wanna make sure they're sharing the right information as well. So it's really a, a, an all hands on approach. We we're, we are completely cognizant of the fact that, you know, unfortunately people are getting their information in multiple ways. We've gotta make sure that the right information is out there in all of these multiple channels. Um, and we gotta make sure that the credible sources of information are really getting through. and. Unfortunately, we've got a lot of work to do on that front, but that's why getting on your show is really important because we hope we can get the message out this way. And we know a lot of people trust your information and what you present on the show. So we hope this can be one source of good information uh, to alleviate any concerns that may exist, um, especially for pregnant and lactating women. You know, you mentioned, Stacey, you know, the maternal mortality rate. Look, we've we've discussed this so many times in the U.S., you know, ranking worse in maternal care compared to some 
third world nations. And so now comes this pandemic and there's a whole nother set of concerns here. I mean, how do you just through your lens? This is obviously just the I hate, I hate using that term perfect storm because people use it so much. But considering what we're already dealing with, with maternal mortality and now we've got the pandemic. What do you make of all this? Well, you're exactly right. Even before this pandemic, we were facing it and and uh, an extreme maternal and infant health crisis, especially as compared to other high, uh, highly developed and wealthy countries. We have some of the worst rates of maternal mortality, meaning women that die as a result of pregnancy and childbirth, as compared to any industrialized country in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, our rates of maternal mortality have uh, more than doubled over the past 25 years, whereas every other um, highly developed countries' rates of maternal mortality have been declining. Uh, even in the state of Georgia, um, where we look at maternal mortality rates, which are um, uh, which are high, and then premature birth rates, mm-hmm. and obviously we know that the health of the mother and the health of the baby are very closely tied together. Georgia's uh, premature birth rates are some of the highest in the country at almost 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but that's the work of the March Times working with so many partners there. We've been really trying to work very hard to help people understand why these issues of maternal and infant health are so important. Even the issues of pe- babies born prematurely, people need to understand better about why this is such a problem and that premature birth and the consequences of premature birth are some of the leading causes of death for children between the ages of zero and five. That every time a baby is born before full term, it puts their lives at risk. It puts their health at risk. It can lead to lifelong health challenges. And a lot of this comes because of the kinds of policies and the lack of investment that we've made in healthcare over a period of time. I mean, part of why we're experiencing, I think, the kinds of extraordinarily high rates of of COVID-19 when we otherwise could have potentially better manage this issue Mm -hmm. is not only because of the misinformation that's been swirling around for months now, but it's because we failed to invest in our public health infrastructure over decades. And when we fail to invest in the health of our citizens, we should not be surprised that we start to see some of the really bad outcomes, whether it's around maternal mortality and infant mortality and premature birth, whether it's around extraordinarily high rates of of uh, COVID-19 that exists in this country, this wealthy country where we should be able to control it better as compared to other developing nations. What it suggests is that we have to do more Mm -hmm. to recognize that we will only get to better health outcomes if we make health and access to healthcare possible for every single person in this country, irrespective of their race, their ethnicity, their zip code where they live, that we should not be denying access to good health, health and good health and wellness and health care um, to anyone in this country. And certainly states like Georgia, Mississippi, other su- southern states are at the center of this work because it's those states that have often denied that kind of health uh, care and health coverage for far too many people, especially people of color, for far too long. And we're trying to work very hard in states like Georgia to reverse this trend and the and this work and see some improvements over time. And that's a whole nother conversation, Stacey, when we talk about policy, politics and people's health. The president and CEO, March of Dimes, Stacey D. Stewart. Thank you so much for taking the time. I want to bring you back. Maybe we will continue those other conversations. I really appreciate it. I would love that, Rose. Thank you so much.
And that is it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other program. Send me an email. We had some interesting conversations today that were very much needed. Send that email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online, wabe.org slash closer look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.